listener production. This is Global Truths with Dr. Keith Souter. Join us each week as we break down one issue in global politics so that you can understand what's going on in the world right now and what's likely to happen in the future. Our host, Dr. Keith Souter, is one of Australia's leading commentators on global affairs and geopolitics. My name is Sasha Barbagat. I'm a journalist. This week, we're discussing undersea cables, their indispensability, but also how vulnerable they are to attack. These concerns were raised in a 2017 report by British Conservative Rishi Sunak, who's also been in headlines recently after failing to win the Conservative Party's leadership from Boris Johnson. Keith, what is the concern here with Europe's underwater cables? Well, I was at a uh, seminar for the International Law Association dealing with Russia and Ukraine and got talking afterwards with the national president and Natalie Klein, who teaches at the University of New South Wales Law School, had mentioned that there was this angle that she'd been looking at, which is the whole role of undersea cables and how vulnerable they are to disruption. And I've got to say, my eyes started to glaze over. <laughs> you know, there are areas of international law which are fairly boring. And, and I must admit, I had no idea of the importance of undersea cables. So you've got your nice new um, Apple phone there, mm-hmm. very sophisticated, mm. very good. Your technology is relying on communications that were laid down in 1858. Really? Really? The first message wow. that went under the sea yeah. went between Queen Victoria and the President of the United States, James Buchanan, wow. who was before Abraham Lincoln. What I find fascinating is that over 90% of international internet transactions go through this system, not the satellites. You know, I, I've always talked about the satellites, et cetera, but in fact, the cables are cheaper and more efficient. And if there's a problem, they're easier to repair, just get somebody to go down into the English Channel rather than try to send somebody into outer space. And so each day, you've got several trillions of dollars flowing through these cables as part of the international financial transactions. We've got actually two documents that I've got. One is by Rishi Sunak when mm-hmm. back in 2017, rising young MP, just been in the Commons for two years, clearly making a name for himself. And there's another report, an American report. And what is fascinating, there's a, a bit of a disagreement about how many cables there are. One says 200, the other one says 400. They're both very small numbers. Like Little New Zealand, for example, has three. Yeah. It seems like a lot out of all of those. <laughs> My goodness. So, and, and we're also, I think we've got four okay. coming into this country. So you can see how vulnerable we are if those cables get disrupted. And so this is one of the ways in which the Russians could actually cause problems for us in the West mm. by disrupting those cables. Like you said earlier, this can be a topic where people's eyes glaze over a little bit. How do they work in terms of what are they what are they transmitting? Is it I don't get it at all how they actually work. Can you give us a real brief rundown of how they transmit information? Well, it's basically a telephone line going mm. from one country to another. Yeah, right. And that's it's it. as simple as that. Yeah. Okay. That's so easy. the technology has got a little more sophisticated, but that in essence is the basic idea. A bit like you and uh, your uh, siblings who would have talked to each other with tin cans and strings. <laughs> yeah, we did that a few times. Same <laughs> so thing. This, this is, yeah. 
Right. It's, it's as simple as that. I was just stunned mm. by how simple it all is. Well, that's the thing. When when you sent this topic through, I was like, oh, this is going to be complicated. But when you explain <laughs> it like that, oh, that's easy. So what would the consequences then be if they were compromised? It depends on why they were compromised. You know, one consequence would be, say, Russia, which is the issue that Rishi Sunak five years ago was warning us about. This is well before Ukraine. Mm-hmm. But he already could see that the Russians were preparing to fight what is called hybrid warfare. So in the old days, you used to have soldiers go from one country into another, which we've seen in Ukraine since February 24. But you could also have, with hybrid warfare, various attacks made on countries through their infrastructure, through their system of cables, undersea cables, just to disrupt the life. So you're not actually sending troops in, and you've got the plausible deniability for being able to say, well, we weren't responsible for that. Whereas if you send soldiers over the border, as happened in Ukraine on February the 24th, suddenly you do see these soldiers appearing. Whereas this is this new era of hybrid warfare. Who knows? Perhaps we are already at war with Russia. We may already be at war with China. The hybrid warfare may already be underway. When you look at the hacking attacks Mm. that are made on us, we become so reliant upon computers And that's our Achilles heel, that so much is being done with computers and will continue to be the case. And so these cables, these good old-fashioned cables, are the ones that carry the signals from one country through to another. You touched on it briefly. I want to reiterate this statistic because I find it fascinating. 97% of global communications and $10 trillion in daily financial transactions are transmitted by, not in satellites, but by the cables lying under the ocean. Why do you think they're not talked about more as an essential part of keeping the world going? I think the reason is that they're under private ownership, including more recently Huawei. The Chinese are getting in on the act. <laughs> yep. But they're not controlled by governments. Now, the advantage of not being controlled by a government is that the cost of maintaining them does not appear on the government balance sheet. So it's not a worry for you as a government that you've got to pay for this system and the way you have to pay for roads or something. That's the advantage. The disadvantage is you're heavily reliant, therefore, upon the the private sector for their willingness to continue to operate with this system. And it means, therefore, that it's not really on a minister's agenda because there is no real minister for undersea cables. It would come under telecommunications. Mm. But such a person would say, well, look, those private providers are responsible for that. We, We have no say in the quality of those cables or where they're going to, etc. One of the purposes of this report by Rishi Sunak, who's certainly not a socialist, (laughs) is simply to say, look, governments have got to pay far more attention to what is going on with these undersea cables and just don't leave it simply to the private sector. So for your own national security, you need to be far more involved. Yeah, well, that was going to be my next question, was given how much we're relying on this infrastructure, shouldn't it be a government focus? Well, it certainly should be involved in terms of the development of international law. Mm-hmm. So the international law that we've got does not adequately cover this. It's interesting that in the um, SUNAC report, there's um, credit given to Australia and New Zealand with our marine zones, whereby we tried to protect the cables. Remember how few we've got. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Try to protect the cables <laughs> from people who are disrupting. Because you can have, on the one hand, a deliberate disruption by an enemy country even if they're not a formally declared enemy. But Mm -hmm. in our case, it'll be Russia or China. But you also have problems 
with trawling vessels, of ships putting down anchors, etc. So the location of all the cables has to be published. We can't treat them as a secret activity. No. Because somebody could accidentally just encounter it. If the Richie Sunak report published by the, the Policy Exchange, a British think tank, actually contains a number of case examples. And one of my favourite was in Vietnam, 2007, which was the theft of copper. The uh, Vietnamese, their own fisher people, Uh came across these cables and they figured, oh, this would be something worth selling. (laughs) So they they just pulled them up, (gasps) disconnected Vietnam. It says here that the country was disconnected for three months because of the theft, with their country forced to rely on satellites and land-based cables to connect to the internet. Replacing one section of the cables cost the Vietnamese government $5.8 million American dollars, notwithstanding the damage done to the wider economy and reputation of Vietnam's communication infrastructure. You can imagine a lot of budding commercial clients of Vietnam saying, well, you can't deal with those people. They have fishers who dig up cables and prevent the internet from operating. I shouldn't laugh, but yeah, I guess it illustrates that point then about governments needing to protect that interest. Absolutely. So what Australia and New Zealand have done and what is praised by Richie Sunak is to have zones which are not only clearly marked out, they also monitor every vessel that goes through that zone just to make sure they're not accidentally dropping their anchor and then severing the cable. (laughs) So it shows how governments have got to work with the commercial sector on all this. As I say, we're becoming more and more reliant on computers and the internet, so we ought to be getting far more involved in this. And we just can't rely on an arrangement which, as I say, began in 1858. (laughs) (laughs) This is Global Truths with Dr Keith Souter. Thanks for your company this week as we discuss the importance of the world's underwater cables and why they could be under threat. Keith, this report, written by Rishi Sunak, made several recommendations. Could you talk us through some more of them And more importantly, this was written in 2017. Has there been any movement on the five years since it was released? My understanding is that, no, there's not been much happening on this. I think that's one of the reasons why a lot of us are concerned to now get more publicity for this. As I say, I've I've now become a convert to the course because, you know, I've just been so shocked by what I've read here. So he talks about the fact that the UK have got to put it onto their agenda. Obviously, he's a British member of parliament, so he wants to make sure the British government's across this, but it would also apply elsewhere. One of the things that he looks at is the whole question of what are called secure landing sites. So in other words, the cables come up out of the sea and you've got to make sure that wherever they do come up out of the sea, that they also are in a secure spot and you don't have somebody, I don't know, just cleaning the beaches, severing the cable there rather than being underwater. He says here that much more should be done to enhance security at major UK landing sites. That would also, of course, apply to Australia. And there's a need for a review to be carried out by this government organisation called the Centre for the Protection of National Infrastructure. He says that the British should establish Cable Protection Zones, CPZs, which is what Australia and New Zealand have done, in areas with high-value communication corridors. So, mm-hmm. in other words, learn from what Australia and New Zealand have done. Also deploy better monitoring equipment on the cables 
So the cables can actually then send signals back saying we're being damaged or something like that. So that's not a feature of them already? No. Wow. Broaden the geographic diversity. So in other words, that you've got key choke points like the Luzon Strait, which is immediately to the north of Australia. And so he wants to have more attention given to that. Increase the supply of what are called dark cables. Using tax incentives and working with private telecommunications companies, the British government could also encourage the building of backup cable systems and redundant systems. And this is a bigger issue that I've got generally, that in the old days, we used to have lots of redundancy built into things. My favourite example is Sydney Harbour Bridge. Mm. So the Sydney Harbour Bridge can carry more vehicles than it does at the moment. In those days, they believed in redundancy. And then the bean counters came along after World War II, and the bean counters said, you've got to cut the fat out of the system. Right. It'll save you money in the short term, which is true. But in the long term, as we're seeing with our problems with global supply chains at the moment, we need to move from just in time supplying to just in case, being far more cautious. And this is exactly the point that uh, Rishi Sunak is saying with these dark cables. He says you've got to build resiliency into the whole system from a national perspective something that individual private businesses have no incentive to do alone. He says that we should strengthen international law protecting the cables. He says that the current, and I agree with him, the current legal regime is deficient in securing the security of cables and vital infrastructure. And also he wants to have NATO involved. Obviously, this is a British report. Mm. Undersea cables are the very definition of international infrastructure and an international response is needed if they are to be successfully safeguarded against military threats. The UK should press at the NATO level to promote undertaking of naval exercises and war games to hone potential responses to an attack on undersea cable infrastructure. And in the five years since he wrote this, the problem with Russia has become Real. much more pronounced. Yeah. That's right. So that's very good recommendations. I think also what Rishi Sunak is hoping to do is just to bring more international attention to this whole subject. So that's why he's trying to talk it up. Do you think he's been successful so far? No. <laughs> yeah, no one's you know, talking being about it. Very blunt, as, as I say, you know, I, I try to keep abreast of international issues. And then when Natalie Klein started talking to me about undersea cables, my eyes glazed over. <laughs> I had no idea no. how vulnerable we are because we're relying on a technology that goes back 150 years. Speaking of the threat in Europe, and we touched on it a little bit before, but what about here in Australia? We've got these four cables apparently. Are we at risk just the same as the European cables? Well, not necessarily from deliberate attack, but you could imagine there may be occasions if we fall out with the Indonesians Mm. when they might want to sever it. And then you've also, as we saw with the Vietnamese example, that wasn't done as an enemy action. That was just simply people wanting to make some money. Yes. And that's the risk we run with fishing vessels, ocean liners, putting down their anchors. So these are real issues. And to wrap us up, Keith, what needs to happen right now? You talked about advocacy. Who needs to be making the biggest noise about this? Well, I think the Australian government should be challenged to just pay attention to this issue and find out how they would respond where appropriately to the nine recommendations that Rishi Sunak set out five years ago. Obviously, the NATO one doesn't really apply, but we do have our own 
defence arrangements. And so we could certainly talk to the United States and, for that matter, New Zealand about what we can do to improve the international infrastructure. The NATO recommendation doesn't so much apply because we're not a member of NATO, although we are an associate member of NATO. I would think just challenging the Australian government, say, read the report and how do you respond to it? Are you even aware of this? I think that's the basic question. I say, I've been on a fast learning curve and my guess is that politicians need to be on a similar learning curve because this is not an automatic part of the government agenda. This is private enterprise. And so from a politician's point of view, they could simply say, well, look, you better take that up with the big providers of cables. Whereas what this report is saying is it was going to become much more of a government responsibility, including enhancing international law. And that can only be done through governments. That for me is what needs to be done for the Australian government to read the report and then to see how we could follow it up in this country. Now, I'm now a convert to this cause, thanks to Natalie Klein. And I'm certainly going to be using opportunities to try to talk up the importance of this subject. Well, and all our listeners will now as well. Their eyes definitely didn't glaze over. Mine are wide open. I'm very interested. Thank you for bringing such a fascinating topic to us, Keith. Have a great week. Thank you. Global Truths is presented by Dr. Keith Souter and me, Sasha Barber-Gatt. Audio production by Niall Fernandez. Theme and original music by Matt Nicolich. Listener.